This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. It is Baptism Sunday. You figured that out already, right? And I know some of you have already come and you're ready to get baptized. It's going to be a powerful morning. But before we jump into that, Pastor Kevin is going to come and he's going to teach us about baptism. Are you ready? Let's welcome Kevin. Kevin, come on out. How you doing, everybody? Man, I am so excited for today. It's already been an incredible morning, and I get to do this two more times. And by the way, you could do it two more times, too, because we have tonight, today, and then we have a five o'clock service tonight. So if you're just so drawn in by what God's doing and you want to come back, come back and celebrate with us tonight. Uh, As we start off, I have a question for you, because I need to know how many of you are like me. Until I was 18, I grew up in Southern California, down by Pasadena. Do we have any Southern California people raise it? All right, loud and proud. Yeah, I love you. We're like the, the remnant. The rest of them went home for Thanksgiving already, but, but we're staying strong. I, I love Southern California. I really do. I, I, it's incredible. I remember so many uh, Christmas days that were 80 degrees and sunny and shorts and a t-shirt and just having a great time. I love Southern California. But I've spent the better part of 14 years now in Northern California, and I've experienced something that if you're new to moving up to Northern California, maybe you're a a freshman at Sonoma State, or you're just new to this area, you're experiencing something right now that you've never experienced before. And it's something that we call seasons. You're experiencing (laughs) seasons right now. Isn't it incredible? Like at night or or in the morning, it's it's cold out. If you're if you're new to Sonoma State, you don't know what the morning looks like either. But that's something you'll experience your sophomore year. Like see see seasons and and it's crazy. In the winter, it's cold and everything kind of goes brown and dormant. And I love it because on Christmas morning, you actually want to have a fire in your fireplace. You don't do it with the windows open like my parents used to do on Christmas Day because you just have to have a fire you actually need to stay warm. And then my favorite season is spring. I absolutely love spring. And particularly, I love driving up Petaluma Hill Road in the springtime because in the spring, it starts to rain. And as it rains, these dead, dormant brown hills, they begin to burst into life. And there's, there's green grass coming up and there are purples and oranges and yellows as these wildflowers just take over the hills. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's like a a picture has been painted just for us. In the background, we have vineyards. We really literally live in one of the most beautiful areas in the country. And the thing that does it that, that has intrigued me recently, it's it's the water. When it starts to rain, it's like water just reignites life, and it, it brings things back to life that were dormant, and things that seemed like they were dead all of a sudden burst into new life. And that's the thing about water. Water is a key resource, not just for our planet, but if you think about it, other than air, water's probably the most important resource for you. That You could live a few weeks without food, but you can only live a few days in a hot climate without water. And if you really want to thrive, you need something like right around four 16-ounce bottles of water every single day. And if you're like me and you drink coffee, I mean, partway through the day you get these headaches and and people tell you, well, you need more water. And you're thinking, well, coffee has water in it, but it it doesn't work because you actually need, you need water to drink. Without water, we, we die. Uh, Right around four children under the age of five, die every minute around the world. 
because of lack of clean drinking water. Not having enough water is literally killing thousands and thousands of people around our world. But on the flip side of that, if not having enough water can kill us, having too much water can kill us. Um, we've seen the weather disasters that have been happening even recently around the world and, and these overflows of water and these floods of water that are, that are taking people's lives. And so water is this interesting thing because not enough brings death and too much brings death, but just the right amount brings life. And I think it's really interesting as we talk about baptism today that the Bible over and over again uses baptism, which has to do with water, uh, in a way of holding a tension of life and death. See, baptism, if you're new to new life or if you're new to this whole faith journey, uh, the word baptism in the Bible is used over and over again, and it means to, to submerge or to dip or to dunk. And so what we do, if you're new, this is a, a baptistry. It's full of water. It's warm water because we love you at New Life. And what we do is we put you in and then we, we submerge you, we dip you, we dunk you under the water, which the Bible says is, is a picture of dying to an old way of living. And, and then we bring you up out of the water, which the Bible says is a picture of raising up to new life. And so baptism using water is this, it's this tension, it's this balance of life and death. And there's something very real uh, that, that we experience internally that translates into a baptism, this tension of of life and, and death. There's a guy named Paul, and Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. And if you're new to the church, here's what you want to know about Paul. Because when we read the Bible or you see some words up on a screen, you think, wow, that guy, he must be a saint. He must have had it all together, probably like a third or fourth generation pastor. I mean, he's got it going on. Paul started out his life hating Christians hating the church, being skeptical of this new Jesus movement that was taking off to the extent that Paul actually, his job was to go out, find Christians who were meeting in these little communities, drag them out of their house, and murder them. He was a murderer. He was a killer. They would take stones and they would brutally beat people with stones till they died. That was Paul's job. And then one day Paul's walking on a road to go and do this very thing to a group of people and Jesus appears to him. And they have this interaction, and this interaction with Jesus changes Paul's life. It changes his trajectory. And now instead of killing Christians, persecuting Christians, he became a leader of the Christian movement and wrote the majority of the New Testament. And he's someone that, other than Jesus, is probably the most influential person in the last 2,000 years of this Jesus movement. So that, that's Paul. And if you're here today, and you're here because a friend invited you to church, um, you're here because you're checking it out, but you're kind of skeptical. Just know you're in good company. This is the way that Paul started out his journey. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul is talking to a new group of Jesus followers. They're pretty new to this life. And this is what he says to them in Romans 6.1. He says, What shall we say then to these people who, who have experienced this life with God? Shall we go on sinning? so that grace may increase. And if you're new to this sin, you can think of it like this. Sin are these destructive desires and patterns and thought processes and actions that you have uh, that you think are good and right, but ultimately they end up hurting you. They end up hurting other people. Uh, they end up separating you from God. And so that's a, a dilemma, a dynamic that everyone has. We have this sin thing inside of us. And if you don't believe me, ask your spouse. They'll tell you, yeah, you have a sin thing inside of you. And it is it's hurting you, it's hurting us, and, 
If there is a God, it's probably separating you from him. They'll just be honest with you about it because they love you. Uh, we give you warm water. They tell you you're a sinner. That's the way that this dynamic works. He says to these new Christians, he says, should we go on sinning, doing these things that are hurting us and hurting other people and separating us from God so that God's grace could increase? He says, no, by no means. He says, we, we're the people who have died to sin. How then can we live any longer? He says, you used to have this way of living where it was all about you doing what you wanted to do, what you thought was right. Ultimately, you got to that path that you thought was going to be good and it was bad and it was hurting you and it was hurting other people and you were separated from God. And so you died to that old way of living. So how can you live it anymore? In verse 3, he says this, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized, who were dipped, who were dunked, who were submerged under the water, baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? So he says that Jesus is the one who solved this sin issue. We were separated from God because of sin, but Jesus, God in the flesh, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and then he died on a cross. And when he died, he took the penalty for our sin on himself as a sacrifice for us so that we would not be guilty of that sin anymore, but could come into a relationship with God. He says we were baptized into Jesus Christ and we were baptized into his death on the cross. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, we too might live a new life. And so baptism pictures this very real thing that happened with Jesus. Jesus was a real person. It's documented in ancient literature, both Christian and non-Christian literature. Jesus lived. He was crucified on a cross. He literally died, was buried, was in a tomb for three days, and then God rose him from the dead. And, And Paul says this, for those of us who know Jesus, who are in relationship with him, You've died to an old way of living. And baptism signifies that you've been buried with Jesus and that you're now being raised up to a new life. It's as if, it's as if he's saying this to us. You used to think certain things, live certain ways, um, say certain things, do certain things, but you got down that road and realized this is not good. It's not helpful. It's not good for anyone. So you You said, I'm not going to be that person anymore. I'm dying to that person. And if there is a God, and at that point you would say, yeah, there is, I'm going to live for him. I'm going to take the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross to forgive me of my sins, and I'm going to say, yes, Lord, thank you. I want that, and then I'm going to live for Jesus. Not in this old way of living anymore, but in this new life. And and then we have this tension that this old life kind of creeps back up every once in a while. And he says, listen, when that old life creeps back up every once in a while, take it out back, grab your shovel, and cut its head off because it's dead. Don't let it come back. Throw it away. Bury it in the backyard. You're a a new person now. And he says, and baptism holds this tension in its hands of, of an old life that you've died to and a new life that you're in. And so I want to talk about what baptism is, and then I want to talk about why it's so important, and without the realities that baptism represents, why we cannot live a life that God created us to live. So when you think about baptism, I want us to think of three words, embracing, experiencing, and identifying. Those are three words that you'd want to know when you think about baptism. We get baptized because we are experiencing God's transforming love. We're in the process of it. We used to live an old way. We encountered God. He changed our lives. We died to that old way and we're living for him. We're experiencing his transforming love. Which, by the way, if you were raised in a different church tradition, you might have been baptized as an infant. Uh, 
here's what I believe your parents were doing when they baptized you as an infant. They were saying, we want to raise you to know Jesus. We want to raise you to know God. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. And I love that. And I would not take that away from you or from your parents. But I would say this over and over again in the New Testament of the Bible, baptism is for people when they are currently in the process of experiencing God. It's not someone, something that someone can do for you. It's something that you have to choose to do as you know God. So if you're here and you were baptized as maybe as an infant or as a young child, I think the best thing you could do to honor your parents and their, their heart for that, their desire for that, is that now that you're a believing adult, is that you would get baptized for yourself. First service, uh, there are some triplets in our church, and I love these guys. I, I've loved them partially because I'm a twin, and partially because when we did a child dedication a number of years ago, they were standing over here with their mom, and we dedicate people because we believe that parents— um, want to profess that they're raising their kids to know God for some of the same reason that you might have been baptized as an infant by your parents. So we're dedicating them, we're praying a prayer, and a couple of the kids, two of the triplets, they had change in their hand for an offering that they wanted to give. Well, partway through the time I'm praying, they dropped their change, and it went everywhere, and it's rolling, and they're on their hands and knees trying to grab the money as I'm praying for them, and I know what their poor mom is thinking because I'm a twin, and I know I did that to my mom so many times. Well, in the first service today, I had the privilege of baptizing all three of the triplets into Jesus Christ. And he- here's why it was so powerful. Their mom stood on stage and said, someday I want my kids to make their own decision to follow Jesus. And until that day, I'm going to raise them to know God. And today they honored their mom's decision by being baptized as believing uh, followers of Jesus. And so if you're here and you were baptized as an infant, that's, that's a good thing. That's your parents saying, we want you to follow Jesus. But over and over again, the Bible is clear that it's your choice as a Jesus follower to get baptized as an adult. And you actually, you honor your parents' choice that they did for you when you choose to get baptized as an adult. So it's about experiencing God's love. And we get baptized because we're embracing the reality that Jesus' death and resurrection actually, literally broke the power of sin in our lives. You ever have those things that you you just don't want to do, but you kind of do them anyway? You know, like, man, I don't want to gossip anymore, but I find myself gossiping because that information is too good to keep in. You know, or I don't want to yell at my kids anymore, but then they did that thing, and it's like, oh, I I just had to yell at them. Or, you know, know, I don't want to... I don't want to be this kind of materialistic person that, that is, is close-fisted with my money. And, but man, Christmas rolls around and it's all about, I, I tell people I want to give, and, but really it's all about what I want to get, you know? And, and I've got this tension in me that I, I want to live one way, but this, this thing is holding on to me. And the Bible would say that is sin and that sin actually binds us. It locks us up and entangles us so that we cannot do what we want to do. And when Jesus died on the cross and then was buried and then rose from the dead, he broke the power of sin in our lives so that everyone who believes in Jesus has the power to not be a slave to sin anymore, but has the power to live in freedom. And baptism is about embracing that reality that you actually, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are not bound by sin anymore, but you're free. You're free to live the life you were created to live. And so it's about experiencing the transforming love of Jesus and embracing the reality that his death actually, literally broke the power of sin in your life so that you can live free. And then we get baptized because we're identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection. We're identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Jesus gives us two symbols to do uh, to remember him. One is communion, which we're going to do later, where we take a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And he says, when you take the bread, which represents my body, and the juice, which represents my blood, I want you to remember my death and my resurrection. 
And the second symbol he gives us is baptism. And he says, when you come into the water and you're laid down into it, I want you not just to remember my death, I want you to identify in my death by dying to yourself. And then I want to raise you up to a new life. He says, I want you to actually identify with me with this in a unique way. In verse 4, remember Paul says this, he says, we were therefore buried with Jesus through baptism. Somehow in a very deep, real way, when we do this, we identify with him in a way that we only can through baptism. We're buried with him in order that just like Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God, we too might live a new life with Jesus. And so through baptism, we do that. We say, I, I, I'm not that person anymore. I'm a, I'm a new person. And here's why this is so important for us, if we really want to live the life that God created us to live. Because if you're like me, you live in a tension. And here's the tension. On one side, you want to follow God because you know that it's good. Because you know that the things God says, intuitively, they will lead you to have a good life. But, but on the other side, you want to follow you. You want when you want, uh, what you want, with whom you want it. And so we have this tension because sometimes Jesus says to do things, and he says, I want you to follow me. I want you to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want it. And you say, yeah, 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 but there's something in me that wants what I want, when I want, with whom I want it. It's kind of the American dream, that we would have enough money and enough freedom and enough control that we could be fully autonomous adults who could have whatever we want, whenever we want, wherever we want it, with whomever we want it. But here's the problem with that mindset. Ultimately, we get what we want, when we want, with whom we want, and we realize, I didn't actually want that thing. So you're in your early 20s and you go into the workforce and you're going to be the youngest CEO and you're going to take the world by storm. And so uh, you work long hours to the detriment of your family because you've gotten married, but they're kind of, they're secondary to what you want. You want to get ahead and work. And so uh, they're secondary to that. And you kind of, you backstab a little bit. You pad the numbers a little bit. You, you, you slander your boss. You lie about him a little bit. And ultimately you get to the top. You get what you want, when you want, with whom you want it. And you realize, looking back, man, I hope someone else doesn't do that to me. I hope some next person doesn't come up under me and say the things about me that I said about my boss and, and pad the numbers the way that I padded them. And you're constantly looking over your shoulder because you got what you wanted, when you wanted, with who you wanted, and you realize it's not what I want. And then you go home and you say to your wife, honey, I just love you. And I'm, I'm in this place and I'm all alone. And she, she says, or he says, depending on who it is, they say to you, you know what? You feel more like a roommate than a lover. And I don't really know you because you forfeited the right to be with me for so many years to get what you want when you want, with who you want. And then you go to your kids and you try to parent them. But ultimately they say, who are you? You've been gone out of my life for the last five years. And, and you realize when you get what you want, that it's not what you want. That's why Jesus says, I, I want you to do what I want when I want with who I want, because that will lead you where ultimately you want. Or maybe you get married and you think, wow, he's going to give me or she's going to give me everything I've wanted, and they're here for me, and they're going to serve me, and it's going to be all rainbows and butterflies and unicorns, and it's just going to be great. And then, you know, you get two months in, and you're like, wait a minute, this isn't what I want. All of a sudden, your wedding ring feels like handcuffs. You're like, what? What's happening? And so you think, oh, I know. I know. I know what I'll do. I can get what I want, when I want, with whom I want, and the whom I want is someone else. So you start thinking about that someone else, and ultimately you act on that, and and the minute you act on that, you realize, I got what I wanted, when I wanted, with whom I wanted, and it's not what I want because I gave up everything that I, I never knew that I always wanted, which was standing right here with me. And we live in a tension that we know the things that God says are true and right and good, and yet 
Something in us drives us to want to do what we want, when we want, with who we want. And baptism, baptism is a picture that these two realities will never work in our lives. We just finished up this series that we called Not a Fan, and it was about really deeply, truly following after Jesus, like passionately, wholeheartedly saying, Jesus, I'm going to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, because I know that's the good life. But I want to say this. If you went through that journey with us, and somewhere in the back of your mind, we left you with a thought, well, I just must need to try harder to follow God, then I want to apologize to you because I did a bad job of communicating the truth of that series. Because the truth of that series is that you cannot try hard enough to follow God. You'll never, ever make it. See, it's not about trying. It's about dying. It's about dying to an old way of living and being raised to a new life with Jesus where his spirit is moving us and leading us and guiding us. And that's what baptism says. Baptism says, I've tried it on my own. I'm done trying it. I'm going to start dying. And so I die to an old way of living when I'm dropped into the water and I raise up to a new life when I come out of it. And in the New Testament of the Bible, this was an immediate action. People would give their lives to Jesus and then immediately they would get baptized. And it was this beautiful thing that said, you know what? I was going this way with my life. I had a game plan. I had a trajectory. But I met Jesus and he changed everything. And I'm glad he did. So I'm going to live for him now. And there's a great picture of that in Acts chapter 8. It's a story of the early church. And there's a guy named Philip. And Philip is a Jesus follower. He says, God, I'm going to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. And uh, one time God says to Philip, Philip, I want you to go out to this dirt road on the desert on the way to this place called Damascus and just wait there. So Philip says, that, that's odd, but okay, God, I'll go. So he goes out to this dirt road and he's standing there. And all of a sudden this uh, Ethiopian official comes by in a chariot. And this is when the story gets really weird. God says to, to Philip, he says, hey, run next to the chariot. Philip's like, are you kidding me? What are you talking? Run next to the chariot. But he says, okay, God. So he kind of pulls up his, his robes and he starts literally running. I mean, you, should read, you should read this book. It's an incredible book, the Bible. It's crazy. Run, just running. I mean, seriously, don't take my word for it. Running. And he hears the Ethiopian reading through the book of Isaiah. And so he asks the question. He says to the Ethiopian, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian's reading Isaiah. And if you've ever read Isaiah, his answer is probably your answer. Uh, no, I don't understand what I'm reading. It's the book of Isaiah. That's a, if you were raised in the church, you get that. Um, no, no, I don't, I don't get it. And Philip says, well, I can teach you what it's telling you. So Philip gets in the chariot with this guy, and he tells the guy all about Jesus. And the guy gives his life to Jesus right there. And this is when the story gets exciting. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 36, it says this, as they were traveling along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch, this Ethiopian official, he says, look, here is some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Verse 38 says, and the official gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him right there. This Ethiopian man, he met Jesus and he died to his old way of living and he, he said, I need to get baptized because it's an outward expression of this transformation that just happened inside of me. I'm experiencing and I'm embracing and I want to encounter God in a unique way. And some of you are here today and you're experiencing the love of Jesus and it's changing you, it's transforming you. And you're embracing the reality that freedom from sin can only happen, can only happen through Jesus' death and resurrection. But some of you here have not encountered Jesus through baptism yet. 
And I want to talk to you for a second if you've never encountered Jesus through baptism. Because you probably have some tension. They are very cute. Let's just acknowledge they are very cute. I guess. Some of you are here. You've encountered Jesus. You're experiencing his love. He's changing your life, but you haven't taken the step of baptism. And here's what I'm guessing you're thinking. Here's the tension that you feel. Some of you are thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not ready to get baptized. I've got all this junk in my life, all this sin in my life. I've got all this, this stuff, this hanging on of this old life. And I want to say this. You, and I love you. Remember, warm water, because I love you. But I want to say this to you. You are right. You are not good enough to get baptized. You will never be good enough to get baptized. That's why you got to get baptized. See, we cannot live life with Jesus apart from Jesus. We need to, to, to die to ourselves and live for Christ if we actually want to be able to follow him. We don't get baptized because we've got it figured out. We, bat- we get baptized because we're experiencing God and he's changing us. I got baptized at 18 after having a faith awakening with God at 17. And two weeks before I got baptized, two weeks before I got baptized, I had a girlfriend. I had all sorts of insecurity, blah, blah, blah. Talk to my counselor. Um, I cheated on her, kissed another girl, which is a big no-no apparently. You know, if you've got a girlfriend, this is not good. High school aside, it doesn't matter. And I, I was convicted because I had died to this old life, even though it crept up. And so I went to her and I confessed the whole thing, even against the better judgment of my, my friends who said, no, no, she'll never know. I confessed it to her and she dumped me, which was the right thing to do. Okay, good choice. And I thought to myself, I shouldn't get baptized. No, I, I'm, I'm scum. I can't do this. And, and, and a dear friend said to me, you need to get baptized. You need to experience dying to your old self in front of the community and living with Christ. You can't follow God without God. You need God. Some of you are here thinking, I'm not ready and I'm not good enough. And that's just not, that's not something that should stop you. Some of you are here and you, and you know you're going to get baptized and others of you are here. And as I've been talking, you're thinking, I, I wish I could get baptized today. I didn't sign up though. Guess what? This is an open baptism, which means you can get baptized right now, whether you signed up to get baptized or not. And if you're thinking, well, uh, modesty's sake, I didn't bring any clothes to get baptized in. We have t-shirts, big black and red t-shirts. You can even take it home. We know you're going to bring it back because they're super ugly, you know? So um, (laughs) put on on the t-shirt over your clothes and get baptized in that. Listen, you're going to leave soaking wet, and it's going to be one of the greatest days of your life. One of the greatest days of your life. Some of you are thinking, you know what? My family and my friends aren't here. I wish, I wish they were here. Well, guess what? We've got photographers. They're going to take pictures of you. They're going to document the whole thing for you so you can experience with your family after. Some of you are thinking, I'm going to do it. I'm just not sure if today's the right day. And I want to say this as, as, as honestly as I can. Remember, warm water. I love you. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. But you have today. Why would, why would you wait on something that Jesus so clearly calls you to do today? Uh, I, had a, I, had, I have a, a really good friend. He's my best friend. College roommates. We roomed together for five years post-college. He was a new lifer for years and years until he moved to San Diego. And our last day together before he and his wife moved away, I said, hey, I just want you to be brutally honest with me. 
tell me if you see any growth areas in, in me as a pastor as I lead our church. He said, you're a great pastor. I love you. You're guiding our church. Really good. He said, but I have one thing that I, I, I just need to tell you. I kind, of, I kind of sat back and said, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Tell me what it is. Tell me what this major area of sin is in my life. He said, Kevin, you drink coffee every morning at church. And then we get out after service and you go to hug me and you have horrible coffee dragon breath. It is horrible. All seriousness. Yeah, thank you for clapping. That makes me feel good. Um, Horrible. He said, he said, it will benefit the church. And here's what he did. He pulled out Listerine strips. He said, I want to give this to you. Never let these leave your pocket. It will, it will bless the church. And sure enough, the church has grown since I started carrying these. Some of you are thinking, I want to get baptized, but you've got that coffee breath. Listen, I'm going to pop one of these right before I baptize you. I will have the freshest breath you've ever experienced in baptism. I'm going to pray over you, and it's going to be like the fragrance of the Holy Spirit. Just boom. I, you're, going to, you're going to love it. You can thank my friend. That's a true friend right there. Some of you are just terrified. You think you're going to drown. Listen, we have doctors and nurses all over this church. We're not going to let you drown. But, but if you do, if you do, imagine this. It's like you go down and get baptized. You wake up in heaven, okay? Heaven with Jesus. And you're like, Jesus, did you come back and take everybody back to heaven? And they're like, no, sorry, pastor just held you down too long. (laughs) But what a way to go. What a way to go. The Ethiopian looked at Philip and he said, look, here's some water. What would stop me from getting baptized today? And the answer was nothing. Nothing. And I want to ask you that question. Here's the water. What would, what would stop you from getting baptized today? And if you're a Jesus follower who's never been baptized as a believing adult, the answer is nothing. Nothing. So here's how we're going to do this. In just a second, the worship team's going to come out, and I'm going to pray for us, and then they're going to lead us in some worship. And around uh, the room are communion tables. And I'm going to invite everyone to stand up and go to one of the tables and take a piece of bread and a cup of juice, which Jesus says represents his body, which is broken and given for us, and his blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you're a Jesus follower, I'm going to invite you to, to take the bread and to take the juice and to go back to your seats and then to remember Jesus' death and resurrection. And if you're here and you're ready to get baptized, before you even go to communion, what I want you to do is when everyone stands up, I want you to come down here. Pastor Ron's going to be standing over here. I'm going to be standing over here, and we would love to baptize you. We're going to sing worship together. You're going to be standing up. It's going to be incredible. And you're just going to come down, and I want you to get baptized. Some of you know you're getting baptized, so as soon as I'm done praying, come on down. Some of you didn't know, but now you do know because God's called you, and you're ready to get baptized. Come on down and get baptized. It's going to be incredible. So would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you for the reality that baptism holds, which is this tension of death and life. That as we go under the water, we are representing, signifying, embracing the reality that we've died to a way of living that was for ourselves, that was only leading us away from you. And that when we come out of the water, we're raised to a new life with you. Thank you for this incredible way to identify with you in your death and resurrection. Thank you that through this, your spirit moves in us. As we obey and follow you, it moves in us in an incredible way. So Lord, I I ask right now that through your Holy Spirit, you would be calling people to take the step to baptism. That they would say yes to you. I pray that if there are people in our community right now who up until this point would not even call themselves Jesus followers, Jesus, that you you would draw them to yourself by your incredible love, that they would say yes to you, that they would 
enter into a relationship with you and that they would come forward immediately and be baptized, just like uh, the Ethiopian man in the book of Acts. So Lord, we take the bread and the juice. We remember your sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And as we worship, we come forward to be baptized and identify with you in your death and resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.